2: com and definitely check out those shows as well. Katherine Newman is the author of We All Want Impossible Things, a novel. I absolutely love this book and have been posting about it right and left on Instagram, and am just a massive fan. Katherine is the author of the memoirs Catastrophic Happiness and Waiting for Birdie, the middle grade novel One Mixed Up Night, the kids' craft book Stitch Camp, the how-to books for kids, How to Be a Person, and What Can I Say, and the new novel, We All Want Impossible Things. By the way, she was on this podcast for How to Be a Person, which is a fabulous episode to listen to and also a fantastic gift, which I gave many people for the holidays last year. She edits the nonprofit kids' cooking magazine, Chop Chop, Writes the etiquette column for Real Simple Magazine and is a regular contributor to the New York Times, o, the Oprah Magazine, Parents Magazine, Cup of Joe, and many other publications. She lives in Amherst, Massachusetts with her family. Welcome back to Mom's No Time to Read Books. Oh, you have my book. You're so sweet. Catherine, thanks for coming on for all, We All Want Impossible Things. Thank you for having me, Zivy. As you know, I've been like over the moon excited. This book is so good. I posted all about it, I'm recommending it right and left. It's so good. From page one, you just open it up. I could not stop reading. I stayed up late. I woke up early. I love that feeling so much. So thank you for giving that to me.
3: Oh, thank you. I can't even tell you. Zivi emailed me and I, it just made my whole weekend. It was the loveliest thing. Thank
2: you. Oh, well, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And now, of course, so many people who, so many other authors are such huge fans of yours too. I, so many people who I've had on the podcast are like, right, I love it too. It's amazing. Oh, <laughs> so now God. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I had lo- like walked into this insidery circle of author love for your book. I didn't know either. I'm so
3: really glad to
2: find out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you wrote books about loss, you and me. Yes. Yeah, I know. And thank you for saying that in your email back about, but this was just the way you did the humor. And I think it was the humor, the humor. You're so funny at like finding every moment that could have something comical, not like slapstick, of course, but just in the darkest of times, mm-hmm. finding the littlest bit of light and, and really brightening it up. That sounds cheesy, but well, why don't you, why don't we go back? Why don't you tell listeners what we all want impossible things is about? Thank you for that about it being funny, by the way, because of course I
3: live for that. I mean, as also as Jews, like that's why we're still here. (laughs) Right. I mean, it is like survival mechanism. It's so deep. (laughs) And I'm just thinking now about the time that my husband and I were in couples therapy and the the therapist said really deadpan, like, I see that humor is an idiom for you of like, we were like, Humor is an idiom for us. (laughs) Um, Okay, what's this book about? I've been calling it a sleazy hospice friendship romance. Okay. (laughs) Like that's a genre. It's about a woman whose best friend is dying of cancer. And because of some practical considerations, that friend comes to die in hospice uh, near where the narrator is living. And the narrator is kind of, there's, it's split, I guess, between hospice and the narrator's sort of semi-grown daughters and the narrator's sort of fucked up marriage. Oops, sorry. It's um, okay. It's okay. It's up. okay. And I feel like what it really is a book about, and I know I was thinking about talking to you about it and how much this is like the thing that speaks to you, I know, is that, um, I was trying to capture in a book what it feels like to be blown apart by grief and the way that on the one hand, it's like an experience you're not sure you'll survive. And on the other hand, the kind of love it opens you up to, which again, not to keep bringing up your book, but your book is so twinned grief and experience. Banding, that feeling of like opening up to the world because you've been blown apart. And so
2: that's what the book is about, I guess. Wow. That's such a cool image. I mean, I'm thinking of like, if this isn't going to make any sense, but in my head, it's making sense visually that if something is blown apart, you actually have like more surface area, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you, so like exponentially you can connect more. You can have so much more out there because instead of staying in, you have all these chances for magnetism and connection and everything.
3: Totally. I love that image. Right. And even as you were saying that, I was thinking that despite the fact that I keep saying it's about this person being blown apart. When you were saying that, I was also picturing like, I total cliche, but like a geode Mm -hmm. You You hold this thing. Like you hold your heart together for as long as you can in your life. And then it, cracks open and there's like a lot there.
2: And I think people who have been cracked open feel this compulsion to let people know (laughs) that this could happen at any minute. I feel like this is the the genesis for so much literature. It's like, wait, you guys, did you know that this could happen to you at any second here, I'm going to just tell you how it happened to me and maybe that will like get through. And, and unless it's happened, no matter how much you read and how empathetic you can be to somebody else's plight, I don't necessarily think it works, <laughs> but that I doesn't know. stop everybody else from
3: trying. I I know it's like, until you've gotten your heart broken, you don't understand country music. And then the first (laughs) time you listen to country radio, after your heart's been broken, you're like, oh, I understand all of these songs. Because I, and I think what you're getting at too, is that like, there's nothing that feels more singular than getting your heart broken, either from grief or from, you know, loss of a relationship. And it is also the thing that most connects you to every other person on the planet. Everybody ends up grieving. Like there's not a person yep. who will escape that. And so I do think there's something about that feeling. I don't, when my, so this is based loosely on a real story, which is that my best friend died in the hospice I, uh, eight years ago. Thank you. And I remember having this experience of being on the train coming home. I'd been with her and I was coming home for a while and thinking on the train, like, every one of these people is going to grieve somebody. Like, already being in that grief moment and realizing that it was one of the most, you know, besides death itself or birth it's like one of the most universal human experiences, right. but when you're in it, it is so singular. And I
2: totally agree that the compulsion to try to explain it is yeah. huge. Well, also it's too, I think it would almost be too hard to go about your everyday life. If everybody was prepping for like having anticipatory grief, essentially, or, like if everybody was like, Oh my gosh, everyone in this household is going to die. Like, I don't think anybody would be able to like put their clothes on and run out and do 27 errands. Totally. No, I think as like a protective,
3: we all have to run run around. around. Yeah. Yeah. But then there are times where you don't like in your book too, because there's these, this like grief on grief on grief because of the way there's a number of years where you experience an almost unfathomable amount of loss. You don't compartmentalize, Mm -hmm. you know, where you are living in loss and you are aware of loss all around you. And it is so crushing and it gives everything that crazy, precious glow, you know, that like in your book, it's like the kids and you fall in love with Kyle and everything is kind of glossed with the knowledge that's twinned with it, that you could lose all of it. You know, yes. I mean, feel that it's so precious, but I agree, right. You have to compartmentalize, but sometimes in your life, you yes. don't. And it looks like, you know, I mean, part of why I fictionalize this, which, you know, I know you did it and it's like just different. I tr- I tried it that way too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be curious to read that because I feel like, I was so like struck by the courage of not fictionalizing, you know, because it's so laid bare. And I also felt that I was very vulnerable writing a fictional book, but I think for me, the fiction of it allowed me to like, cheat a little in the ways that I was trying to express something, so her. The main character, you know, she has the thing she calls a falling in love disorder. (laughs) And that is a thing that I suffer from really quite acutely. I have a massive falling in love disorder and I do volunteer in hospice and I do fall in love with every single person there, like madly in love. And I don't even mean platonically, I'm like romantically in love with everybody in the hospice. (laughs) And I feel like I, so, but in order, I feel like for that to come out on the page like some of that is very loud in the novel I want to say you know that she's so slutty and that that's like a way of describing something for me that's very real
2: I didn't I mean I know she was she had a lot of experiences (laughs) and partners but I wouldn't have labeled her as slutty I mean there's such a judgment there I know you're probably kidding but like you know I was not like she I mean the first time I was like oh yeah that's what we're, that's where we're going here. <laughs> I'm like, really, the, the gym coach or whatever it was. And I was like, all right, okay. Did not see that one coming. <laughs> so uh, you know, the talk. I mean, it, everyone. I was like, huh. <laughs> great. But it makes it almost like it's part of what makes this very sad topic fun, right? You're pairing like the most joyful things and the most pleasure you can get with like the most heartache you can get and it's that juxtaposition like you were saying like with every little thing anyway you also had something really interesting about the difference between loss and and like the act of dying and the act of losing i wonder if i could find it quickly <laughs> this is so this is just an example of how funny you are this is how you describe yourself not yourself the main character of the book, Edie and Ash. This is Edie. 45 year old me fresh off the school bus with my under eye bags and plantar fasciitis and boobs hanging down my torso, like beige knee socks with no legs in them. <laughs> That's so great. Oh my God. I know that was right from the beginning. Hold on, let me find some. Oh, by the way, do they call it a they friend? Is that, is that what they call a non-binary boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it a they friend or did you make that up?
3: <laughs> well, some people do call it. A non-binary boyfriend or girlfriend, a they friend, but I think that's slightly comedic. And in fact, some people in my life have mixed feelings about me having used that expression. So oh, I'm not sure. Okay. I, okay, I mean, I I know lots of non-binary. Boyfriends and girlfriends, but I'm not sure that's like a great thing. Okay,
2: okay, I'll leave that out. Uh, You also have, I'm just going to read a couple lines that I really liked. You said, but sometimes I worried that marriage was just a series of these small deflations, our dreams floating around invisibly near the ceiling like escaped gas. Oh, what a depiction of marriage. (laughs) Sad. Then in here you have, by the way, I am writing a book now called Blank about a a woman writing a novel that is blank for the concept of it all. And like you literally wrote that in your book that the person was like joking about it. And I was like, anyway, so I didn't steal it. It's already like, you know, 70. No worries. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't find this line. Oh, wait here. Oh, here it is. Well, here's something good anyway, if it's not exactly—I'm sorry, this is not a disorganized process, but I have a few more. You say, uh, she smiles. I know, she says. This is so hard. I was just in the kitchen singing Tradition. And stress-eating chocolate chip mini muffins. I hug her and tell her how amazing Ruth is. Ruth is one of the neighbors, neighboring rooms in the hospice. And we wish each other luck. I pull the door closed on my way out. Everywhere, behind closed doors, people are dying and people are grieving them. It's the most basic fact about human life, tied with birth, I guess. But it's so startling, too. Everyone dies, and yet it's unendurable. There is so much love inside of us. How do we become worthy of it? And then, where does it go? A worldwide crescendo of grief. Sustained day after day, and only one tiny note of it is mine.
3: I love that. Like like props for us to just be two people writing about Fiddler on the Roof.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's true too. I know. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) By the way, this I know. (laughs) We're like, yeah, we can survive anything. When you have the moment where they're singing, do you love me? Yes. Oh my God. The song to each other. Oh my god! I I mean, I had like tears in my eyes. Anyway, I thought you had, and maybe this is not you, but I'm almost positive it was. Where you define the difference between you, there's yeah, yeah. the act of dying, and then there's the act of loss, and you're so in in it with the dying and the medicine and the yeah. prep for that, and then all of a sudden loss comes on its heels, and you're not even really ready for that because you're so in it with the dying part of yeah. it. So
3: I know the line you mean. It's about digging a hole and you're working so hard to dig the hole. Yes, 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 yes. And then there's the hole. And that for me, I don't know if this is familiar to you. Your losses happened in so many like different traumatic ways, but that it reminded me so much like seeing somebody through to the end. It reminded me so much of having a of giving birth Mm -hmm. where you're so focused on the birth and you're like this and that and Pitocin and blah. eh. And then like, at the end of it, they hand you a baby and you're like, Oh shit. (laughs) to Take care of a baby. Like you're so wrapped up in the birth. And I think with my friend's death, it was very like that. Like it was like grief was already, you know, in the room with us for sure. We cried so much. We were so in it but also there was so much caretaking, you know, it was like adjusting meds and, and she needed, she wanted different drinks and she needed to be moved and fed. And, and I feel that we were so focused on that, that when she died, the just absolute crescendo tidal wave of loss, I think shocked us, you know, that we had been distracted maybe by death, you know, that it distracted us from loss. (sighs) anyway but I know you know and then it's just like the way it is amplified by other losses like the way you experience loss refracted that for you like part of why I think your friend the loss of your friend Stacy which I think of in some ways as the sort of center of the book in some ways like losing Stacy in 9-11 like you did and I feel like then the rest of the book there are so many more losses and every loss is like, Oh, and Stacy's still not here. Like <laughs> yeah. to like support you, you know, that there's this like fundamental missingness of the people whose losses you accrue. I don't know.
2: Oh, no, I'm just, I'm like, so flat. You're like totally turning the tables here. I feel terrible. You're talking all about my book and I'm here to <laughs> about your book. Oh my God. I know what you like wrote loss.
3: We wrote loss books about like losing friends. It's so, it's such a deep connection to me. Yes.
2: No, I'm, I'm joking. I mean, sort of.
3: No. no.
2: (laughs) Yes, there's a lot. I wish I had had as much fun as your character though, in the process.
3: (laughs) It sounds like you ended up having fun. Yes, that's true. That's true. Okay, fine.
1: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
2: True. Wait, so you debated doing this as a memoir and decided against it. When you were in this book, the main character thinks about writing a book and and they're like, are you, wait, are you taking notes on this? Are you going to use this? Like, did that happen too? Like how much of this happened, didn't happen? I know it's an annoying question, but.
3: Uh, A lot of it happened and a lot of it didn't happen the way it's depicted in the book. So my friend did not die in Amherst, Massachusetts, where I live. She died in Coney Island in New York. And that part is just wish fulfillment. I mean, that is just, Me, like my own main character, wanting to be fully planted at the center of this life and experience. So, I think that was a fiction, a primary fiction that sort of enabled the book to be the way it is. And a memoir wouldn't have been that. And a memoir feels more like it's not really your story to tell Mm -hmm. in this case, just because, like, this is a person with kids and a husband and, you know, siblings. And I didn't feel like I could really tell the whole story that way. So
2: instead I fictionalized it in a really strange way. No, it's amazing. (laughs) Did the scene where she hugs her son happen at the very, you know, was that based on real life? I don't that's, want to like give anything oh, away. You
3: don't want to spoil it. Yeah, I'm trying not like,
2: to spoil it. I'm I know, just I know. saying. It's, okay. it's set up to, I feel that the narrative arc of this book is fairly clear. For I me. kept wishing the whole time I, I was same. reading. Same.
3: Oh my God, same. I know I come back to the book and I'm like, maybe. Nope. I know.
2: <laughs> and in the, in the one time where you're like, and now actually everything was fine. And I was like, really? And then you're like, no, that's <laughs> what it would be in a romantic comedy. I was like, oh. I thought I was
3: really hoping for that. I, know, I do feel like the conventions of film and fiction have given us these weird, not that one shouldn't have hope, like it's good to be hopeful, but they've given us a weird sense that something could, in a really romantic way, flip on its head and turn out okay. And And I'm not a massive optimist in general. I'm like a cheerful pessimist is probably how I would describe myself, but I did sustain some, there was this feeling of like, well, who knows, you know, in the hospice where I am now, I'll just put this out there for your listeners. People, I always call it graduates, but there are people who come to hospice, they are dying And then they are released from hospice. And I know, I don't want everyone to like hang their hats on this because the premise of hospice is that you have made peace with the fact that you're dying. But life is very mysterious. Things do not always go as you imagine they will, is all I can say. So it's really quite remarkable, just human life, not as predictable as we think.
2: How do you maintain your sense of equilibrium when you're caregiving so much, like even you as working in hospice or volunteering or whatever, how do you do it without getting so attached and repeatedly upset?
3: Yeah, I do get attached and <laughs> repeatedly upset. And my okay. kids just make fun of me because I'll get an email and I'll, and I'll like cry a little and they'll be like, did someone in hospice die? <laughs> like, mom, and this is the premise. But it is like everybody's very attached. It's a beautiful place. So when somebody dies, everybody who's connected to the place gets an email about it. And, and this happens, you can imagine almost literally daily. Right. And everybody will be like, Oh my God, what a lovely person. And everybody will share a memory almost every day. And it is incredibly moving. Like it's such a hospice is magic. I mean, if there's a subtext of the novel, it's like, Hospice is magic. It is magic. And not all of it. You know, there's, I know people have had not great experiences with hospice care, but the place where I work, which is a house and people do come there to spend their last days, it is the care of the nursing staff of the, you know, CNAs. It is really not like anywhere else I've ever been. It's just really beautiful. So yes. So I feel very sad, but I'm only there two hours a week. I wouldn't want to overblow it. I make, I come in, I make dinner, I talk to people and I leave. Like it is not, it's not like a massive undertaking.
2: Yeah. But still, it's still,
3: it's wonderful you do that. (laughs) Yeah. I fall in love with everyone. I ask a bunch of people to marry me and then that's
2: (laughs) it. Well, I think we need some hospices magic tote bags produced or something uh, in conjunction with this Hospices magic, I know it's so true. Tell me about the cover. I mean, I know it's because of all the thirst and all that and everything, right? But Uh, like, tell me, tell me a little bit about the. Well, you know
3: what it's like, like to write a book and then and so I will tell you. So the cover shows you know a can. And it's got a bendy straw in it and a flower, that's draw, a daisy that's dropping some petals. And when they said they were going to send me some covers, I was like, oh my God, is it going to be like a hand holding a hand? Like I couldn't, Im- how do you illustrate this? That's what I thought. Or just like, yep. I couldn't even imagine a good cover. I, like if they had said, what's your dream cover? I would have been like, I have no idea like an anacotomical heart in eight pieces. Like, I don't know. And they sent me this and it was completely perfect. Like it was absolutely perfect. It's like a little weird. It's a little sad. Like it's not, it's very subtle and wonderful. And I was thrilled. And I have gotten some covers, like my first book, I was like, anything but a stork. And they were like, what about this? And it was a stork. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, cause you don't want to be a pain, but this was so perfect. I was just beside myself. I had to write the, the artist and be like, you just nailed
2: it. It's great. It's really beautiful. Thank it's, you. It's Thank very you cool.
3: so
2: Yeah. The whole thing. I mean, it was like an experience. I literally sat there with this book on my chest. I like, oh, I literally, I know I like, couldn't even go to bed. I was just like, oh my gosh. Anyway. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's not just the loss. It's not, it's like you took us through. And I know we're talking a lot about loss in this episode, but I don't, and it is obviously about this period of time when she is losing her friend and it's about that, but it's, it's about like what it's like to go through something and also to do it as someone who's, you know, delicately balancing a marriage and two grown kids and our grown-ish kids, which is even more complicated and, or maybe not, but it just like all the things in life and this on top. It's like, and I love how you did. It's almost like the whole calendar and the month of February and then the quote, and and it's just like so packaged up and then it ended up being March 2nd. And I don't know. It's just like, so so great. You know, it's an experience. So for, it's like for anyone who needs to get through anything and wants to laugh at, at whatever's in their way. And anyway, I don't know. I don't know what you did that was so perfect that kept the thing moving. No, I was trying to deconstruct it and say like, well, what is it that's working so well? What is she doing? And I feel like it's a lot of different factors, but is there something you tried to do to make it work well, like structural craft wise or anything? like? That's an interesting question. I
3: read, i would never written a novel before. And so I read a book that was like, how to write a novel. <laughs> I can't remember what it was called KJ recommended it to me KJ Del Antonio it's called like put on your pants or take
2: off your pants do you know the book (laughs) no I tend to leave I tend to leave books that say take off your pants on the shelf but you know
3: (laughs) oh but it's like People know it because it's a per, it's a particular approach to writing, but I can't remember if it's putting on or taking off your pants. But like where you plot it out. Mm-hmm. And I read this like how-to book. It's really like writing a novel for dummies. It's like, here's how you write a novel. Here's how you structure it. And I knew a lot about the book, honestly, right? Like I had been turning this novel over in my head for seven years. I, I knew everything about the characters. I understood the... Premise of the narrative arc, right? Somebody's dying. But I didn't know how I would structure, you know, that way when you're writing where you're like, somebody's putting on a band-aid. Will it take one sentence or four chapters? You know that like, <laughs> like, how long do you let something like yes. how much does it expand and fill this space? I had no idea. You know, that feeling of just because I had only written nonfiction and nonfiction is like. You know, they give you a basket and it's got like honey and bread and a bit brisket and you're on TV and they're like, make dinner out of this. And you're like, okay, you know, I could do that. And then fiction, it's so bottomless. Anything could happen. An alien could have come and like abducted Edie before she died. Anything was possible. And that gave me so much vertigo that I had to like structure it. Like I had to make an outline so that I would sort of follow some basic... Principle, I realize this is not actually what you're asking. Me no,
2: about. that helps though. That's good.
3: <laughs> and I wrote it really fast because I wanted to inhabit it so fully that I wouldn't lose my sense of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be like, oh, wait, what was I thinking about? Oh, that. Like, I just wanted to be in it, which was its own indulgent thing because then of course I was with my friend for this like intense period of time which was a mixed bag
2: oh do you have anything else coming now I want to go back and read you have another memoir you wrote a while ago Was that also funny and another novel
3: <laughs> <laughs> I have only a novel for kids
2: okay
3: um, novels a novel for kids but your kids might like it it's about um, kids spending the night in Ikea oh <laughs> And it has some loss in it. You'll see there's some familiar characters, actually. And I wrote some books about parenting that I think would I think would speak to you in the regular parenting way, but I also feel like you probably.
2: Well, that one I had, How to Be Normal, right? That one we talked about, didn't we? You no, know, I mean books about like four parents. Oh, 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 oh.
3: But I'm writing another novel and it's, I will see how it goes. You know, it's very, I know, you know. I mean, you've written- a bunch of, you're writing a novel. You've written a novel that you didn't publish, right?
2: I've written several novels. Let's not go there. <laughs> hey, <you're laughs> but I am writing a novel now, which basically you had the same idea in your book. So anyway, so I'm working on it. I'll have to show it to you. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to see it. Well, I can't wait for your next novel. And I am so excited. I really hope people just go grabbing this off the shelves because it's so unique. It's unique and, and the voice is so great and the story and universality, but also the specificity of it. That sounded ridiculous. No,
3: thank you. That's that would, if I were going to sum up my goal, it would be that. It would be that.
2: Great. Well, there you go. Okay. Thank you so much, Catherine. Good luck. I'm so excited for you. I'm so grateful. And thank you for the close read of my book too. That was really nice. (laughs)
3: Oh, thanks. It was such a pleasure.
2: Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
0: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.